This is a season of thankfulness. And man, I'm super thankful for Grace Point Church. Am, am I alone in that? Or are you guys thankful for that as well? Yeah, amen. Um, I'm, thankful for the, for, I'm thankful for the church, for God's church. But for this to be the church family that my family calls home and we get to serve in, man, I'm just, I'm so grateful. And I'm thankful that Grace Point is a, a sending church, a partnering church, a church that focuses on church planning and disciple making, not only here in the States, but across the ocean. And if you're new with us, or maybe you just need a reminder, um, when you give, there's a portion of your giving that goes towards the global work that we get to be a part of. And when you give, there's a portion of your giving that continues to go to the local work and the cool initiatives and the creative, unique things that we get to be a part of, like um, I don't know if you've seen maybe some pictures floating around on Facebook, but uh, Stephanie Trawick, who I get to work with, she, she helped put together these, uh, I think we were calling them quarantine buckets. Has anyone seen those? A few yeses, a few like, no, what's that? We should call them COVID buckets because if they go to everyone in quarantine, I think we would all get a bucket at this point. But Grace Point, because of your giving, has just been putting together some encouraging little buckets that we've called quarantine buckets. And we've we've distributed those to just friends and family and people that you guys have said, hey, I know a family that's really sick and they could just, they could use a touch by the church. And so in addition to calling them and reaching out, we try to get them just this cool little bucket and there's a, like a blanket, and a deck of cards and some cough drops and just some fun stuff in it to say the church is with you. Like we care and we love you and we're praying with you. So guys, consider giving. Uh, we say around here, it's your consistent budgeted generosity that allows Grace Point to do the ministry that we do. And so I would ask all of you, man, pray about making it a consistent budgeted thing in your family and see how God blesses you because of your faith, faithfulness. Excuse me. Um, I'm also thankful because today is a unique time where because part of our DNA, meaning our, our pastor and his family came back from the mission field. They were serving in Zambia, which is in Southern Africa to start Grace Point Church some 18 years ago. It's part of our DNA that we are a church that still is about seeing what the father is doing in other parts of the world. And so this morning we get a glimpse of that from work that is happening elsewhere and work that we get to be a part of. And so Johnny, I'm going to invite you to come join me on stage. Um, as he's coming up, why don't you just give him a Grace Point welcome because he's come all the way from the great state of Oklahoma to join us this morning. Uh, born and raised, I think, uh, in Oklahoma and sooner maybe. Boomer. Boomer. Yeah. So don't hold that against him. But, um, this guy, he's been, he's been serving with his family in a place that I'm going to let him talk about. But here's the connection. Like, man, why is, why is Johnny here this morning? Because we are ascending church and we are always like have our radar just kind of going for where God is working and how he's calling us to join him. About a year ago, actually it was a year ago in October, I got to be a part of a team, um, with Ann Lorenz and what, six other individuals from Grace Point, Logan, her son, my wife, Daniel Ellis, we, we got to go serve with this guy in East Asia. And we'll just say that for like security purposes. And, um, we've been praying ever since then, God, what are you doing with that? Like, was that, we experienced that. We kind of shared a little bit about it, but what's going to come from that? And so we've got a unique opportunity with him and his family being back stateside right now to kind of share with you guys a little bit more about what God is doing there and how we, we feel like God's calling us to be a part of that work. So 
I did a terrible job introducing you. I didn't even mention your family. Why don't you do that? Okay. And why don't you, why don't you share where you're serving and how long you've been there? Sure. Yeah, we've been in East Asia for 14 years. And my wife, Shannon, and I and our, our son, our oldest son, Luke, he was nine months old when we got on a plane to go to East Asia. He's now 15. And then Jace Oof. was born in Thailand. But, and the twins here, Carpenter and Hava, um, were born overseas as well. So that's the family, and we've lived together, yeah, in East Asia for 14 years. So, yeah, have a seat. Let's talk a little bit. Why, uh, <laughs> let's start off with why East Asia? Because uh, it's as far, as far away from home as you can go from getting back. <laughs> I mean, like, without coming back, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, you'd have to go around the other side of the globe. I think um, I always wanted to, to do the most adventurous thing, like, be far from home, and... Uh, Somehow that mixed with missions, and we went to East Asia. Um, but as that got honed in, I think we started thinking about places we could actually go as a family, as a couple, and we wanted to go where there were unreached people groups. Um, and East Asia has a lot of them. Before we go any further, I, I want to make sure that we have a context for what that means when you say unreached people groups. Yeah, so an unreached people group would be a people group that doesn't have uh, any sustained work um, of the gospel. There's not a, a vibrant church. There's not a number of Christians that you could consider a, a, a portion enough to be a vibrant church. Um, and, you know, they're, they're, they're without a gospel presence. I think even percentage-wise, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like among an entire people group, less than 2% of those people yep. are followers of Jesus, meaning they're considered unreached. They haven't been reached with the gospel yet. There's still a work to be done. Is that still accurate? It is. And then uh, UUPG. Um, So UPG means unreached people group, what we're talking about, that 2% or less Christian. But then as we served overseas, uh, another term came about that's UUPG, which stands for unengaged unreached people groups. So that, that means there's absolutely no gospel presence. There's no Christians, like zero. Um, they've never heard of the name of Jesus. And I think as we hear that here in, in Northwestern Arkansas, we're like, how can that be? Is that a real thing? It's actually, sadly, it's a still, still a reality. But you also helped explain that a little bit more even, which helps me have a visual. When you say unengaged, unreached people group, well, we just defined what unreached is, but unengaged meaning there's not even um, an existing church that is praying on behalf of those people or maybe even knows they exist. Like no one is making an effort to even move the needle. Is that right? Right. So no believers among the people group, uh, no church, but also, yeah, no church like you that knows about it or no missionary that's focused on that area. And there's lots of places like that. I wish it wasn't so, but there's still lots of places in the world and specifically in East Asia like that. So why don't you, why don't you, there, there's pictures that are going to be scrolling this morning. Kind of give us an understanding of the spiritual climate in this area of East Asia. I know that that's broad, East Asia. Yeah. Um, but what does Christianity look like? Is it, is Christianity even existent? Um, what, what is, what, so what do other religions look like in the area that you guys are focused yeah, where we were, um, there, there's a lot of Christians, actually. There's places where Christianity is growing faster than it ever has um, on, like, the eastern side of East Asia. But then you go to the, into the west of East Asia, and there are literally these unengaged, unreached peoples. And where we were, they were Buddhist. 
And I think we have this picture in the West of, of Buddhism just being this totally peaceful religion where you just empty yourself of all malice. And, but seeing it firsthand, it's the opposite of that. Um, there are people that are under the bondage of earning merit. Um, Buddhism, they believe in reincarnation. And so it's kind of this circle of life. Like you live a life, hopefully you earn enough merit to come back as, in a good form. Um, if you don't do enough merit, maybe you'll be an animal or something. Um, and they don't know, though, how much merit you need, and they don't know how many lives you have to live. The goal is to get out of that circle and reach the great nothingness or nirvana. So they're working toward a great nothingness. They don't know how much merit they need, but they're, they're petrified. They're terrified that they don't have enough merit. Whereas in Christianity, I think in the West, sometimes it's viewed wrongly as well, that Christianity is just about following the Ten Commandments and following the rules when actually what, what Christianity is, is freedom from the rules yeah. because Jesus already came and fulfilled that and we have his righteousness. And we know that we have one life to live and then we get to stand before holy God and we don't stand there with our own merit, our own righteousness. We stand there with, only with Jesus' merit, his righteousness. And so it's completely free. And I think I got to see a clear picture of what those religions are like by being with Buddhists. They're not at peace at all. Well, you're talking about you get to see a clear picture of that for 14-ish years. Um, our team went over and spent, what, 10 days, and you were trying to kind of expose us to this reality over that period of time. One of the, one of the hostels that our team stayed at, I remember late that night just hearing, um, hearing singing or chanting. I was like, what is that? Like, it, it wasn't good singing by any means. And it wasn't the karaoke that our team was doing either. Uh, that was bad singing <laughs> too. Karaoke. But uh, it was, I was, I didn't know what that was. So the next morning, uh, it was, we were kind of all getting around, maybe having some coffee. And I said, hey, Johnny, I heard just like this repetitive, almost moaning or chanting last night. And you pointed out an elderly woman that was in this hostel we were staying at. Maybe, I don't know if it was the mother related to the hostel owner, but she was still kind of chanting and rocking and had these beads that she was playing with. And you said, she's nearing death because she's an elderly woman and she's doing all that she can to try to secure her eternal salvation. And that, that weighed heavy on me to think of what you just said, the freedom that we have in Christ. And here you're serving in an area where there are churches growing, but then the next valley over, there are unengaged unreached people. The unengaged part just it blows me away. There are unengaged, the next valley over from believers that don't know Jesus and are chanting and singing, nearing death and doing all that they can. Yeah. The unengaged, it shouldn't be. Um, we should not be sitting up here talking about unengaged at this point, this many years after Jesus. Um, I feel like sometimes then you take it and you're like, oh, it's our responsibility as Christians. We have to do all the work. No, Jesus doesn't need us. Like, he, he loves these people more than we do. Um, I think we can let lies from the accuser come in and say, oh, he doesn't actually even love them. He doesn't love me. He doesn't love us. That's the original lie, right? God doesn't love you. Yeah. But he loves these people. And it is our responsibility as the church to take the good news. Um, and so I think that every Christian, um, whether you're called to go or send or give, we all need to care about the unengaged. And we need to get serious about battling for those areas. And a lot of that is, is in prayer, which we'll talk about here in a second. Um, but yeah, uh, there is, I think when, when the, the indigenous peoples where we were and they're younger, they don't think a lot about merit. But you notice as they get older and they feel like maybe death is closer, they start thinking about merit and it really becomes all they can think about. 
And so I remember that night, like that, that lady who was doing the chanting is one of our friends, so we're still praying for her salvation. Um, but God can save someone that far away from him. And so uh, we had a friend uh, who was a living Buddha. And so in, in Buddhism, what a living Buddha is, is supposedly someone who's come back from nirvana in human form, and their job is then to teach you how to reach enlightenment or, or to reach nirvana. Um, and so they're super respected in their, their communities and their villages. And kind of the, the monks will go down to the village and they, the monks name all the babies. Um, and the monks are totally in control of these people. Like if the people are sick or they have a problem, they go to the monk, like judge and jury. The monk says, oh, you need to earn this much merit in this way to take care of this problem, to protect yourself from this evil spirit. Um, and so one of these, these guys, he was, he was pronounced a living Buddha, grew up respected and educated and he went to the city wearing his monk robes and someone shared the gospel with him and gave him a gospel track. And he just dug through that track and it led him to the word of God. Since he was educated, he could read. He read the word of God and he was saved. Like he read the word of God and believed. And he didn't keep it to himself. He went back to his village and he shared with his village and his family. And I do love that he, he's never dropped the title of living Buddha. Like he's like, I'll use that because they have to listen to me. <laughs> So he, he would say, I'm a That's the Buddha. way he's leveraging That's the gospel. That's how he's sharing the gospel. <laughs> and so his family listened to him and he shared the gospel and he, he proclaimed Jesus as the way. And his brother believed and his brother's wife and his mom believed. And his mom is, is elderly. My guess, she's wow. probably in her, um, I don't know, 80s or so. Uh, which when you've lived a hard life in the mountains that you're seeing now, that's, that's a lot further down the road maybe than some of us in our 80s here. Mm. But... Uh, so she stopped. She believed in Jesus. So what did she stop doing? She stopped trying to earn merit, which proved that was fruit in her life that she actually believed in Jesus. Well, the monks in her village were concerned. They're like, why are you not counting the beads or walking around the prayer flags or the temples? Uh, you need to earn merit. And she said, I don't need to earn merit anymore. And the way that she explained it in her, in her heart, uh, she said, Jesus is my monk. And when I die, he'll speak for me. Wow. And so basically Amen. what she was saying is like, he's my priest, right? I can stand there. I don't have to say anything. He'll speak for me. That's exactly what Jesus will do. Wow. And when she dies, he will speak for her. Amen. That's incredible, man. <laughs> A living Buddha. Gosh. Um, I, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking back to our journey, our team that went, and all the correspondence that happened back and forth between, before we went, and our team's trying to prepare. Johnny, how do we prepare? Man, just, man, just pray. Here's some visa stuff or whatever you need to do, right? But I was like, okay, like what, when Grace Point has sent teams to West Africa or to Southeast Asia, um, we have like this whole maybe mapped out plan. We just want, we want to be organized and be diligent with our resources. And um, you just kept saying, hey man, pray. We're going to do this. Be ready to drive a lot and pray a lot and walk a lot, hike a lot and pray. Everything was prayer, prayer, prayer. Yeah, but what are we going to be doing? And you kind of just shut down the communication a little bit because I think you're like, Caleb, you're just not getting it maybe. So before we went, Anne Lorenz and Ellie Trawick had an opportunity to attend a summit where you and some of your team were actually back in the States for a bit in Oklahoma. And at that summit, Anne heard you or someone say, there's no greater doing than praying. And I began to know really quick going into this journey that we were going to do a lot of praying. And so when our team went... We prayed a lot and you helped foster that spirit of prayer. We drove and we prayed. We stayed in hostels and we prayed. We pulled over on the roadside to take a break and we prayed. We prayed in the car. 
we'd be staying in hostels of people that we couldn't speak the same language at sharing food together. And because we couldn't speak the same language, we'd just be praying out loud for them. And that there's no greater doing than praying. I started to wonder, okay, you keep saying, hey, I just want, I want your church, you called it our club, to consider what adopting a valley of people might look like. And so I started to ask you, okay, when are you going to show us what adopting a group of people looks like? And you were showing us. It's, I want you to see them. I want you to pray for them. Can you speak to another church that has adopted a group of people and what adoption looks like and just the experience that you've had, the impact that their prayer has had on a a whole group of people that were unengaged. Now they're engaged, but they're still unreached. Share like some stories about what you've seen the father do, the power of prayer. Yeah. I feel like that little story of yours just made me sound super spiritual, which I'm not. Like I'll show you how bad, how bad it was for me. So here I am, I'm thinking, man, I'm, I'm so amazing. God has called me to be a missionary to East Asia. I must be <laughs> an upper echelon spiritually. And Asia will be so glad that I'm there and they'll just welcome me with open arms and everyone will be saved. I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a too much, but like there was so much pride in me. Mm. And, and I got to the field and it was just, Father was like, you need to be refined, <laughs> you know? And I think my, my attitude toward prayer was not like, like that at all at the beginning. Like, I'm like, what can we do? Like, you know, how can we put our hands to this work? And, and it just was years of, of refining, which I still need. But it kind of came to a head when about six years in, a church came from Oklahoma and I had just had enough of it, to be honest with you. Like, I didn't think, I was listening to those lies that I mentioned. Like I was, I didn't think that, that Jesus loved these indigenous peoples. I didn't think he was listening to my prayers. I'd never seen any of them believe. And I was like fed up. And I felt like I was kind of spinning my wheels, wasting my time. Mm. Um, and this church came in and we, they only had three days and you know, the roads, you know, the roads now, I mean, they're, they're crazy. Uh, really we couldn't do a whole lot in three days. So I thought we'll just take a, a tour through, through this area and there's a temple by the road and we can kind of stop by the temple. It'll be real fun for them. We can kill like 30 minutes praying and then go on down the road. Truly that was my heart as a professional missionary, Right kill time by praying. Mm. Um, but honestly, that's where I was because I hadn't seen my prayer do anything. And we got out of the bus and we were looking around, we're standing in front of this temple and we're, you know, boots on the ground in this village, smelling the smells, seeing the sights. And I just say, hey, in this town, we don't know of anybody that's ever believed in Jesus. Uh, there's no group, uh, missional group focused on this place. No missionaries focused on this place. There's not now. We don't know of a history of anyone ever coming here. And more than likely, if you share the name of Jesus, they'll have never heard the name. And I say that now and it burns in me. But when I said it then, it was just kind of a spill because I've been telling every group that had come through that. Well, when this group from Oklahoma, when they heard that, they weren't okay with it. And they were like, we're, we're not going to waste any time. We're going to like battle in prayer. Mm-hmm. And so they went into the temple and they began um, assaulting (laughs) that place with prayer. But the evil one had a hold there and they didn't like it and they weren't okay with it. And they prayed like God was listening to them, like like he did love the people they were praying for. And they sang songs of the name of Jesus and just filled that temple with his name. And as we came out of the temple, uh, there was a goat standing in front of the temple. And the goat had... Uh, Tibetan prayer flags tied on its horns and its tail. And I kind of like joked around, oh, it's the temple guard goat. 
And as soon as I did, the goat started attacking our group, like headbutting people, had big horns, pulling people to the ground. And, you know, it felt pretty serious. It felt like a spiritual attack, actually, because they had just been battling. And we got the goat wrangled up and the group kind of ran on down the hill. And I thought, man, when I go see them, they're going to be scared to death. They're going to get in the bus and leave. Uh, but I got down to where they were and they were not. They were, they were, they were ready to fight some more. And so they were bowed up. We, we prayed around the temple. I think someone said, let's pray around the temple seven times and maybe it'll fall down like Jericho. <laughs> and they were like, they were, they were ready to go. And so we did. And we wept over that place. And we, we asked God to bring light to the darkness. And my heart, my hard heart began to, mm. to shift. And as we were done praying, the goat had followed us down the hill. And one of the ladies just looked at the goat and she said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, like out loud. And I'm like, we, I don't know if we, can we do that? <laughs> uh, but she did it. And in response to her rebuke, the goat turned and walked the other way. And I think we've, we felt victory in that moment. But, but what do you do? Like you don't speak the language. What do you do? They prayed. They went, went ahead and went back to Oklahoma after that trip. Two weeks after they were there, uh, a local sister um, missionary moved to that place, began sharing the gospel and the first believers were like two or three children in that village wow. in a place that never heard Jesus before. And the, the group from Oklahoma came back the next year. And as they were leaving after that trip, they said, hey, we, let's get serious about praying. Like every month, let's pray and fast monthly for this place. We'll for, do it for from, specifically for this. Just area. for Goat Town. For Goat Town. Yeah. We'll pray and fast for Goat Town from afar, from Oklahoma. You do it here in this country and we'll do it together. You walk the streets and we'll be walking with you in prayer. And so we did that. And in the year they were praying, um, the police came and found the, the local missionary. And they said, hey, we heard you have a cult starting. And she said, it's not a cult. Why don't you just come see what we're doing? So she invited the police to their underground church meeting. You know, so not really <laughs> security conscious That's maybe, but... Quite a strategy. <laughs> uh, and they came. And eight police officers came and hovered around those four. And she did everything they normally did. They prayed, they sang songs, they opened the word, and they even watched the Jesus film, which could be considered highly illegal. Uh, and the police left, didn't say anything. The next day, the police chief came back angry, and he said, what did you do to me? And she said, what are you talking about? He's like the guy from the movie. He came to me in a dream, and he had a glowing scarf or a kata around his neck, and he took off that kata and put it around me. What is this all about? And she's like, I didn't do that. That, that's Jesus and that's the Holy Spirit inviting you into relationship. In this culture, that's the kindest thing you can do to someone. You're saying, be a part of my family, be my friend forever. And Jesus is doing this to him. And the police officer had that dream. He didn't believe. I don't know why. Hopefully his story is not over. But he, she had favor with him from that point on. And if he found out that people wanted to know about Jesus, he would send them to her, right? <laughs> um, and so... That happened in that year that that church was praying, coincidentally. And just to fast forward the story and kind of wrap the story up, uh, four years later, I'm sitting in my apartment in the city, and I get a call that 14 students from an English camp want to be baptized. And I'm like, that is not, how can that be? This, I've never gotten a call like this. These students from this group, they don't believe, right? So maybe the foreigners are talking them into it, or maybe they're trying to impress their teachers, the shame on our culture thing. 
And I'm like, I'm going to go talk him out of it. So here I get a call. I've been praying for these people to believe. And I get a call that 14 have believed and want to be baptized. And I'm like, no, no. God's so, still working on your heart. Yeah, still. <laughs> so I go and I listen to their stories. And it's 14 individual stories of Jesus pursuing an individual. And I ask them, where are you from? 13 of the 14 are from Goat Town. Wow. Praise where God. Where a year of prayer and fasting has been sowed. Wow. So does, is prayer the work? It is. It gives me me the chills to think that, I mean, you're talking about like how God was refining you and your attitude and your heart. And um, I I kept asking, what are we doing? And you, as well as God kept reminding me, prayer is the doing. And um, it's stories like that, that we we have the privilege to hear. um, And there's a lot of times where God doesn't reveal to us the impact of our prayer, but we're still called to be faithful in praying. We were talking out in the gallery earlier about this passage in Acts 10, and don't have time to preach it this morning, but uh, Peter is in prison. The apostle Peter is put in prison and he's going to be put on public trial the next day. And I think it's verse five, right, right before it gets into how Peter's miraculously healed or rescued from prison, released from prison. It says the church was earnestly praying for him. And then Peter is released from prison. Now, the crazy part of that story, but this is where it really hits home, is when Peter goes and knocks on the door of the very church that's gathered together praying for him, they don't even believe that it's him. So it's like, there they are praying, but I don't know if they weren't praying expectantly or believing their prayers. But I know even when we were on, uh, on the ground with you, that church in Oklahoma was texting you and you were saying, hey, I'm about to go out with this church from Northwest Arkansas. And they said, hey, we're praying right now. And so just to think about their commitment and the diligence that they had to truly pray, not just say, hey man, I'll be praying for you. Like sometimes we're guilty of in our culture, but they're praying for these people in goat town and God is moving. There's a lot of power in that. Praying is the doing. Um, we believe in that. You, you know our church just well enough to know, uh, man, we're, I said, we're ascending church. We're a partnering church. Um, man, we, we want to be a praying church. And so uh, these there's actually magnets that I have up here, and these are, these are free. Take one of these. They're out in the gallery in front of a big picture of this specific people group that I'm going to talk about. Take one of these magnets, and man, if you're like, man, I'll, I'll commit to praying, uh, take a couple of them and put them, um, put them on your fridge. That's the place I frequent the most often. Um, put them on your car. I don't know. Put them somewhere where every time you go there, you're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I want to pray for them. The name of this people group is translated little horse. And uh, between Johnny and his connections and um, a man that does translation work for Wycliffe, we were asked to be a church that would consider adopting Little Horse, meaning interceding in prayer for them and being serious about it. And so get out your phones right now, because if you're moved at all by the power of prayer or like, hey, I want to, I kind of want to accept this challenge. If you will text Little Horse to this phone number, 97000, Every Monday morning, you will receive a link to a video that will prompt you in how to pray that week. And the video is of me sharing a quick word from scripture, a little bit about Little Horse and how you might consider praying for a people that don't know Jesus. We're not going to blast you with emails. Uh, you're just going to get a, a video link every Monday morning to kind of kickstart your week, kickstart your day and pray for a people that the father knows what's going on with them. We may never have a chance to walk in this valley again. We may, I don't know if our paths will ever cross, but maybe one day that there's a missionary sitting in a church somewhere that's talking about 
how 40,000 people, that's the number of people that make up Little Horse, came to know Jesus and are reached because of what the Father began doing because of the faithfulness of this church in Northwest Arkansas that prayed. So for the next 12 weeks, initially we're committing to 12 weeks just to kickstart this thing. Every Monday morning, if you'll text that in, you're going to get a video saying, hey, let's pray. Let's be a praying church. Let's see what the Father will do among Little Horse people by the power of our prayer. Um, so to tell you how serious we are about l- little horse people and seeing what the father will do, um, you guys know, if you've been a part of Grace Point very long, that every year we have kind of a unique Christmas offering. A portion of our Christmas offering this year will go towards uh, scripture translation for little horse people. And you're going to hear all the details about that next Sunday, but little horse don't have the Bible in little horse language. And so this number of 40,000 people that make up this people group, they don't, speak the, they don't speak the master language, the most common language. Most of them just speak their indigenous heart language, which we will call Little Horse. And they don't have access to the Bible in Little Horse. And so Grace Point has um, an opportunity to be a part of providing the word of God in Little Horse language for a people group that number 40,000 that are <laughs> definitely unreached. Um, Maybe, they don't have it maybe, yet. maybe zero believers that are indigenous to Little Horse. One. I, one, talked, to, one, I talked to the other guy yesterday and there's, there's one. one. Yeah. And they don't have it yet, but this is a work that started like it's in progress. So they've been doing work for years to test words because you can't just say, oh, translate God. Well, what yeah. does God mean in Little Horse? There's lots of words for God. So they've been doing years of testing. And they're starting to work through the books and work through word by word and translating the Bible. And it's happening. A very slow process. Yeah. You know, I was talking with the, uh, the, the man's name is Jesse from Wycliffe that um, you connected us with it. Where he's a part of this. And he said, Caleb, this isn't just as easy as if your church will raise enough money, we can boom, we can get them the Bible, right? This is, he was telling me, this is only through the power of prayer that God can make possible what is really impossible. It's impossible. This isn't something Americans just say, hey, Johnny, if we'll sit down and spend hours strategizing and hey, if I can raise all this money, we'll get it done. And he's saying, and you've been on the field saying, that's not how it works. It's impossible, but church, what are we supposed to do? Like we look at the impossible, we're like, bring it. Because we know who we worship. He's the God that breaks down the impossible. And he will. And I'll just add too, there's nobody else in line for Little Horse. So it's like, oh, Grace Point doesn't really want to, do this next. There's no next. Um, they're unengaged and like, so because nobody's in line. And so I, I feel like this is yours. Thanks, man. Um, this has been, this has been kind of a, well, long before a year, cause God knows, but it's just been a year since our trip over there wondering why did God allow a team from Grace Point to go experience this? And I know it wasn't to just take some cool pictures and have some stories from the hostels, but there are, there are way more valleys of people than just little horse. And it makes me, it just kind of makes me sick a little bit whenever I hear the word unengaged, to hear that they're unengaged. And the most important thing that we could do is pray and not just pray. We always like to preface it with, is there anything I, else I can do than just pray? It's like, no, praying is the thing that you can do right now. So that's what we're going to do. Uh, we want to be a praying church. And so we would ask for you guys to consider committing to this, text in. Um, you're going to hear about this a lot more in the weeks to come. But um, if you want to talk with Johnny Moore or his family who's sitting right over here, um, I'm going to go ahead and walk out to the gallery with you and we'll stand around 
um, the big sign of Little Horse out there if you guys want to come talk to him more after the service. But if we could, could we just kind of give him an applause for being here today? Thank you. Hey, listen, more important than anything during this process is that we are able to connect with God. That's a big, big deal. Our creator, our father, our savior has made a way for us to have direct communication with him because of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. And so my hope and prayer is that as we pray for a group of people among the Tibetan peoples, that God draws us closer and closer to him and that we would grow in our relationship to the father. I was reading something John Piper brought up about prayer one time and he wrote this. He said, if someone says, why are you praying? And we say, I don't know. I just, I felt this impulse. God would not get the same glory he would get if you had answered, I'm praying because Jesus is Lord and has the right to overrule human plans and answer to prayer. And I'm praying because the spirit of God is a spirit of love and will hear my prayer for mercy. You see, living sent which we define as showing and sharing Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people, it's not about us. It's about bringing fame and glory to God. Praying for an unreached people group, it's not about us. It's about bringing God glory. So if you will commit to praying for the little horse people over the next 12 weeks, we promise not to overwhelm you with emails and we promise to help you along the way. If you don't fully understand the plan, here it is again. If you will text in and commit to this every Monday morning, you're gonna get a text message with a link to a short video just like this one. I'll share a question and then I'll share a quick word from the Bible and then we'll talk about how we might pray in a unique way for the little horse people that week and then we'll close in prayer. My hope is that this will serve as a prompting for how you might begin your week in praying for a group of people that don't know what they don't know. So please text in commit to this, encourage and lead your small group, your friends, your family to all be a part of this. And together, let's lift our voices to God on behalf of little horse people. Why don't we pray now? Father, we, we come to you today and we thank you for an opportunity to pray for a group of people that not only don't have access to the gospel, but they don't even know that they don't have access to the gospel. Um, in, in our terms, it's considered a, a zero area meaning zero believers. And so, Father, uh, thank you that we have an opportunity as a church on the other side of the world to intercede on behalf of this people group who are lost, who are stuck in a state of brokenness. God, I pray that um, you would stir in our hearts and that what, what might seem huge, like this is 12 weeks, why do you want me to pray for something for 12 weeks? But God, e eternity is on the line. Eternity is at stake on behalf of an entire people group. So God, stir in us to pray and to commit and to remember and just to, to be sincere in our prayers and our thoughts and may these videos every week serve as a reminder and a prompting to get in the word and to be close in communion with you. God, to, com God, to communicate with you. Father, would you uh, continue to teach us how to pray and give us more of a desire to pray as we have this opportunity. We love you. And God, we ask for you to do big things among little horse. God, miraculous things that aren't even possible with man alone. God, we, uh, we ask you to save them. It's in the name of Jesus that together as a church we pray. Amen. We love you guys. Have a great week. You are dismissed. Live sent.